Welcome to Disney A History, a podcast where we discuss the history of different Disney characters and their impact on pop culture throughout the ages. My name is Lauren, and along with my co-host Abby, we thank you for joining us on this magical adventure. On this episode of Disney A History, we will be discussing Mulan. We'll cover her original fairy tale, the Disney adaptation, and finally, her impact on pop culture. So the earliest written text of Mulan is actually just a poem-type structure. It's called The Ballad of Mulan, and it is under or right around 300 words. And it's not very long. It's super easy read. The Ballad of Mulan tells the story of a girl who dresses as a man and joins the army, taking her father's place because she has no elder brother to fulfill that role. And after about 12 years of service, she returns home and no one ever finds out that she was a girl until she reveals herself. And after a successful military campaign, she returns home with gifts of honor from the emperor and Mulan changes her makeup and face and hair and greets her (laughs) soldiers and they're shocked to find out that she's a girl. They fought with her for 12 years and they had no idea that she was a woman. So a little bit different than what we're used to, but super cool that she was actually able to stay safe this whole time. And from what I understand, the Chinese culture likes this story because not only does Mulan like honor her family and everything, but she actually goes back to societal norms after she's done. She doesn't try to stay in the military. She tries to keep the status quo as much as she can. And that's like what they appreciate about the story. <laughs> and she's not trying to change things. She was just trying to honor her family. Which, I mean, makes a lot of sense because a woman in those days like wouldn't have had the power to change things. But she does have the power to keep her family's honor. So that's going to be her main goal that she like grew up thinking like, oh, I've got to maintain this. So I think it makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. But for the other stories of Mulan, uh, they, they all based off of this ballad. And to understand it better, because they all were different, depending on like what dynasties told it, we're going to go into a little bit of the history of each dynasty. And to start, we'll go into the Tang Dynasty. And I'm just going to say now that I am still bad with names, so sorry if I mispronounce anything <laughs> for the rest of this, because i never, never going to get to go to this. But in the Tang Dynasty, as the status of women began to rise during this dynasty, an influx of women protagonists began to appear in their literature, one of whom was Mulan, obviously, and that um, this empress Wu Zetang rose to power, but when she died... That's when the stories really started changing. So when the status of women gradually rose, the poets changed the culture with the story of Milan. And Du Mu's Milan, the guy who wrote it, he depicts Milan agonizing over whether it would be appropriate for her to drink together with the other officers. Even while she dressed as a man, she struggles to act in a way that would be becoming for her as a lady. Because she still wants to be true to herself, even though on the outside she looks like a man and that's what they're perceiving her as. Be true to yourself. Yeah, just like the song. But this assured the readers that a woman is becoming strong, will not lose her beauty or her virtue, which made her like a herald for the perfect woman. Strong and beautiful. Which, I mean, a lot of people still admire today. But now we can get into the story, Mulan, now that you know a little bit of the backstory for this one. So it was originally oral. And then it was written down by Wei Yenfu. Yeah, definitely sorry about these names. And this was in about 750 AD. And it was pretty similar to the ballad. And where the ballad failed to explain why Mulan found it necessary to take her father's place, Wei Yunfu decided to mention that her father was old, in poor health, and that his condition was steadily deteriorating. So that kind of like made people more comfy with the idea of her joining the army. And after she has returned to her proper place in the family, she sings a song that insists that as a daughter, she is just as valuable as a son, which is definitely true, and ends eph- emphasizing virtue rather than the gender equality like the ballad. So it was a pretty powerful difference that this guy made. And I mean, obviously, it went with the times of the history about making the women more powerful, well, strong, and beautiful. All right. And now we can jump into a King Dynasty. 
After the collapse of the Ming Dynasty, the Chinese people found themselves under barbarian rule. The Han Chinese found themselves oppressed and forced to adapt the Manchu way of life. Manchu men shaved their forehead. They shaved the front section of their regular head. Yes. Uh, the Han Chinese equated haircutting with discarding one's flesh. During the reign of Dorgan, however, the Manchu not only forced Chinese men to wear this hairstyle known as the Q, but even ordered Li Shindong and his men to demonstrate their loyalty to the king's state by slaughtering their own Chinese brethren who insisted upon adhering to Confucian teachings. The people found hope in Mulan's story, who showed how a woman demonstrated incredible virtue during one of the darkest moments in Chinese history. Mulan's story is used to inspire readers that one can resist evil with great force without resorting to objectionable means. And now let's go into her story. So, The Romance of Sui, S-U-I, uh, Sui and Tang by Chu Ren Hao. Wow. R-E-N-H-U-O. <laughs> and it was written in 1695. So Mulan was a biracial teenage girl dressed as a man and volunteers to take her father's place to fight on behalf of um, T-U-J-U-E, Chinese Alliance. I, I don't know how to say that. The T-word army is defeated. So Mulan rescues Khan but is captured by the princess. And the princess is Han Chinese, and she is generous and a loving captor to Mulan. And Mulan tells her the true her true identity, and the two become sworn sisters. So Mulan gets comfortable with her, and she tells her that she's a woman, actually. Mulan and the princess save the princess's father. The princess take, asks Mulan to deliver a message to her secret lover that fights on the opposite side of her father. Khan realizes Mulan is a female upon her arrival home. He wants to make her his concubine and Mulan <laughs> is like nah fam um, so she finds out that her father had died and she goes to visit his grave and she's just kind of you know talking to her father about everything and she decides she doesn't want to live anymore if she's going to be made to be a concubine and she kills herself and then Mulan's sister Yulan dresses as a man and delivers a letter to the guy that the princess was in love with. And the prince demands that Yulan sleeps in the same bed as him to prove masculinity. The princess discovers this and uses a magical pendant to make sure that Yulan is still innocent uh, because it tells that whether or not she lost her virginity or not. Shang takes both the princess and Yulan out to be his brides and they're happy about it. And that's all for this story. <laughs> <laughs> and they're they're happy to be sister wives. So there's actually one more story called The Fierce in the Filet Girl from the Northern Way by Zhang Xiaozian from eighteen fifty. And Mulan is actually the main character in this version where she isn't always portrayed as the main in the other versions. And the really cool thing about this version is that you find out that she binds her feet because there's a point where all the men are told you cannot leave this area, but the women can because they have other duties to do. So Mulan is dressed up as a guy, but when she needs to leave because things are happening, she's able to leave because she can dress up like herself, and she has bound feet, so she's able to wear the lotus shoes. But I don't want to tell you too much about this story because I do want you to do some research of your own, and <laughs> it's, this one is a really cool one to read. Yeah. All right. Do you have any final thoughts on the history of Mulan? Um, just that I think she's a really cool princess. I mean, yeah. like she is like seen as this like strong and beautiful woman who is the perfect person, and she really does do a lot of good in her stories. It's not like how other princesses have this prince, and they're like, "This is the best guy ever," and then you're like, "He did what?" She actually <laughs> did do good, right? So like they're actually like true about like who she was right yeah it's a very straightforward story and there's no you know the, the only weird one is the last one or the one that i the last one i talked about was where she her sister becomes a sister wife with the princess you know it's a little weird but you know it's it wasn't the original ballad so <laughs> it's fine the original ballad is super straightforward and i really appreciate that in a in a tale yeah because i mean you also have to remember that the original ballad came out way before that version. Mm -hmm. The Tang Dynasty one is a lot closer to it, the story-wise and year-wise. 
yeah, I don't think I said that it came out in uh, between 386 and 581 CE. So it's old and has affected a lot of people throughout its time. But it's cool that she's still seen as a symbol of like empowerment. Now let's jump into the Disney section. So to kick off this Disney section, uh, let's start with the date. It came out in 1998, which is only important because all the other versions were really old. And so the biggest question is, how is Moana princess? Because she's not related to anyone of royalty. But because she is classified as an exceptional heroism person, she gets to be on the list. Because she exhibited exceptional heroism. Yeah, because if you look up the reason why a person is a princess according to disney um it doesn't actually have to be royalty you just have to be like human be a princess for real or show exceptional heroism so she makes a list because for a small brief period of time tinkerbell was a princess but then when they added in the human thing that got rid of tinkerbell nala was out of the running not that nala was ever in the lineup but people are like she's the most underrated disney princess and i'm like yes but also no (laughs) but uh the main reason why they added to be a human is because they wanted to sell more dresses because i mean like nala doesn't have a dress so people can't dress up as her so when you say like oh let's have a parade of princesses you can't just have a lion out in the middle of a crowd that's not safe and she doesn't look good in the group shots yeah definitely (laughs) And Tinkerbell is, like, awkward to put since she's so much smaller in the group shot. Because, like, she should be small. She's there. She's just, like, a speckled glitter compared to them. She's all the glitter. She's the filigree they put on the dresses. (laughs) Represented Tinkerbell as the filigree. I hate the filigree. But that's what gives them their pixie dust. Mm. Just kidding. (laughs) I like pixie dust. Give me all the pixie dust. So now we can jump into how they came up with the idea of Mulan. Well, in the beginning, it was actually supposed to be a straight the television or movie kind of like film. And it was a short called China Doll. And it was about an oppressed woman in China who fell in love with a British soldier who sweeps her off her feet and then they go over to China. But it was kind of boring and they didn't really want to make it if it's going to be boring and they didn't have a better storyline and then they merged it with the story of Hua Mulan and the ballad merged beautifully with the story to make an entertaining and powerful story so they that's how we got Mulan all right and the art and animation for this movie is really interesting we talked about how the the CGI was making more progress first with Belle in the ballroom scene then uh, Aladdin with the flying carpet and all the CGI in the Cave of Wonders but now we're taking cgi even a step further because this they were able to add in the cgi to the hand-drawn animation more seamlessly because they developed new technology which abby can tell you a little bit about they definitely improved it because with bell's ballroom scene you knew right away that something was wrong Mm-hmm. But with this scene, I didn't even know that it was CGI at first. That would be when they're on the mountains and they're fighting the bad guys. All The crowds, they're all CGI. And they made up a program called Attila. And its variant dynasties were both devised in order to simulate thousands of independently moving individuals so that the animators didn't have to draw them one by one. So like, if you create a few characters and make them move on certain paths, it was a lot easier than drawing in every single frame of the person moving. Yeah. I watched a little bit of a how they made the movie, and it was so cool because at first they started out with little red boxes, and they made all of the horses, the boxes were the horses, but they made them all go down the hill on this 3D plane and make sure they didn't intersect at any point. And then they went back in and added the horses and the men on top of the horses. So it was really cool to watch. (laughs) And it's kind of the same thing as with the Lion King scene. The stampede coming down the mountain before Mufasa has his big accident. And, like, you can't have these wildebeests clashing into each other, cutting through each other's bodies. So, like, you have to really make sure that if they touch each other, they move away from each other. Yes, they were actually inspired from Lion King to do this. The Huns coming over the snowy mountain. So it was really cool. And they even took a trip to China to research the landscape and architecture. They used a lot of, uh, they saw a lot of moon doors, which is like the round doors that we see 
like when Mulan is like going out to directly direct or uh, address the guy that's given out the notice and like you see the moon door the round door frame in her on their property and then they also saw a lot of flags and they were like okay i guess uh they just have a lot of flags everywhere <laughs> so there were flags on the great wall there were flags on every building and it was just a very decorative thing that they saw so that's why you see a lot of flags in mulan plus it just makes for beautiful animation having the little wind blowing through representation of the flags mm -hmm. and now all of china knows you're here <laughs> <laughs> but uh, speaking of movement, I mean, it's different movement than the flags, but for the people, they use a martial arts advisor to get the movements right so that way it would look authentic and not like people trying to make up how people move. And yeah. the guy that they that helped them with it was B.H. Barry. Yeah. Super cool. They were in there and he actually showed them what movie martial arts look like you know because like if you're doing real martial arts you actually like punch or like hit the guy's stomach but he actually showed them what movie martial arts looks like so like you you make it look like you're hitting them or punching them it was just really cool um i tried to put the documentary on our playlist but it was made for children so it wouldn't let me add it to the playlist <laughs> I don't know why it'd be made for children. It's not like this is a family-oriented film or anything. Well, the doc—I say documentary. That's what I was like. I went back and forth on documentary or the making of. It was done by the stinking movie surfers from the 90s. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is throwback. Because I remembered one of the girls, because um, she was a regular movie surfer, and I remember watching the movie surfers. But, like, the rest of them, I had no idea. And then they have... Well, at first, they, I thought they were calling it Snapchat. Like, we have Snapchat, but it was called something else. Anyway, it's really funny. I'll try to leave a link to it somewhere because it is very interesting. <laughs> or if you just Google the making of Mulan, this documentary was the first thing that popped up. Documentary. Not a documentary. It's a movie surfers thing for Disney Channel. Like, we're talking Zoog Disney, like, way back. <laughs> we're so talking, funny. like, the generation now won't understand what a movie surfer is. Exactly. Do you even know? I was at the very tail end of that, so I don't remember that too much. Like, I know the name, but I was more of the Allison Stoner and that other guy. Doing, Mike, like, super short show. Yeah. I should remember his name. He His name was the title of the thing. <laughs> I don't, he didn't really do much with Disney beyond that, so. But, like, that's the one that I remember, and they'd go and, like, break down some of the movie stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the last kind of movie surfer thing that I remember seeing was for the Princess Diaries. And they had, like, one of the movie surfers, surfers was in the Princess Diaries. And they, like, showed that scene because she was, like, so excited. And that girl's name was Lauren. So, and my name's Lauren. So, I was like, yeah, I remember that one. And then every time I watch the Princess Diaries, I think of movie surfers. So, that's why that's in my mind. But this old retro movie surfers, I had a vague memory of it. Like, I remember a little bit, especially from Zook Disney. But... Yeah, it was a, it was wild. It was a wild throwback. <laughs> but it is cool that they actually went like in depth. They didn't like try to dumb it down for kids. They kept it real. Yeah, because they still like were they were like video chatting with the creators, and um, they actually interviewed one of the actors. We'll talk about that later on. We have a list of cool fun facts. <laughs> so in this movie, they were more conscientious of having Asian and Asian American voice actors, and that is. A far cry from what <laughs> we remembered from what they did with Aladdin, because they didn't seem to care at all when they had, when they made that movie. But when we talked about Pocahontas, they they tried with Pocahontas as well. So that's they're they're making steps. It wasn't a hundred percent Asian American voice actors, but you know, a small step is a good step, I guess. Progress is still progress. Where there was no like real movement to do this, they just kind of did it anyways no there actually was a big there, i mean it was becoming a trend um the voice actor for lee shang his name is bd wong and i watched an interview with him and he said it was actually becoming trendy to cast asians and asian americans in asian roles imagine that which i thought that was interesting that it had to be a trend yeah it, it shouldn't have never been a trend why couldn't it just be it was a trend. So, again, progress is progress, but it's still mildly disappointing to have to 
follow a trend in order to be culturally appropriate. It's very strange. Um, but this was also Eddie Murphy's first voice acting gig. So that was really interesting to learn because, as you know, he did the voice of Donkey and Shrek. And so he jumped from Mulan to Shrek in his voice acting career. And I think that is so funny. Especially where Shrek kind of makes fun of Disney movies and he is a voice on Disney. Precisely. Yeah. <laughs> the irony. And this one kind of leads into the whole art animation thing. But they use his facial expressions during recording as the inspiration for Mushu's expressions. Mm-hmm. Because he was so animated. It's very typical of them to do that anyways, to have a live person act things out. But to, like, actually use his facial expressions because, as he's saying, that they were really liking how animated he was. That's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> and it took over 700 animators, artists, and technicians to finish the film, which is a lot of people. Yes. And, they, of course, they were all learning this new technology. So that was really cool, too. And they made Mushu small because in Chinese lore, dragons could be any size. And they almost cut Mushu because of the overwhelming task of animating a huge dragon through the whole movie. They weren't quite fond of that idea. But once they learned that he could be any size, they were like, all right, he's going to be travel size for our convenience and Mulan's. <laughs> kind of weird that they actually did end up doing full-size dragons in the movie Raya that just came out pretty recently. Well, they're definitely more comfortable with CGI, and CGI is different to work with than yeah. hand-drawn <laughs> It's just usually once they cut something, they kind of just like put it in a vault and never touch it again. Right. It's either on hold or just like a scrapped idea. So it's kind of interesting that they did it, even though like the technology is different, just the fact that they brought the idea back. But um, when Mulan sings Reflection in the Shrine, the names of the animators who worked on the film are actually written in ancient Chinese on the temple stones. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. I knew about that, but I forgot about it for a second. I feel like that's something that most people know, even if it's not, like, a Disney person. Like, they just kind of know it because there's memes around it. Not, like, funny memes, but, like, people are like, did you know this? Right, right. <laughs> so, Salonga was originally cast as the voice of Mulan, but decided her speaking voice wasn't what they were looking for. And decided, like, hey, let's split the role so that we can still use me for the speaking part, but, like, I'm not right for this. Let's find someone else. And it's not the first time that Salonga has had this happen to her. So, um, she sang for Linda Larkin's Jasmine in Aladdin in 1992. So. Yeah, I will say, okay, so Leia Salonga, she did the singing voice for Mulan and Jasmine. And, but I will say I love Ming-Na Wen's voice. There's something about her performance as Mulan that's just so comforting. So I'm, I love that they went with Ming-Na Wen for, for Mulan's speaking voice. She's so warm, and, and that's the only reason I watched Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was <laughs> because she was in it. And uh, just, there's something so warm and comforting about her voice. It's like it brings back good childhood memories for me, I guess. Yeah, it's definitely a very like soothing voice for a movie that's not very soothing. Mm -hmm. But that's what kind of makes it work because it tones down the really harsh scenes for kids to see because like they're still hearing a slightly like soothing tone throughout the whole thing, which keeps them calmer and it just it just works. But I do wonder what her singing voice sounds like. I don't think she sings at all. Uh, I'm not. I didn't look it up, but I don't think she does. That would definitely solidify why she didn't want to sing and have someone else do it for her. Yeah. <laughs> So when Ming-Na Wen was performing as Mulan and Ping, the only thing she really changed about her voice was the register in which she was speaking. Uh, she made an emphasis that she did not change the character at all or really any emotional thing about the character. It's literally, she just lowered her register for Ping, which, I mean, it's the, just... To me, that's kind of obvious. I don't know if anybody else picked up on that, but it, it was so seamless into how she was literally just a woman trying to be a man. <laughs> so it was, she did a wonderful job. And Pat Morita voiced the emperor, and he was also Mr. Miyagi in the Karate Kid franchise. And he is just the sweetest person that was on this planet. He is no longer with us. But he, in the interview that I watched, he was really sweet and kind. And he has very, very, very fond memories of working on Mulan. He's also just like a really cool character. <laughs> yes. I mean, the, the fact that he saw that Mulan was a woman, it was like, I'm going to give you this medal and like, 
you're you're such a great person unlike the original stories where they're like mm, you're a girl let's let's make you a concubine like who cares that you just saved us i know because they do reference the concubines in the film uh we can talk about that for a second <laughs> whenever the dudes dress up as women to break into the palace <laughs> and I never, like, I, I thought it was funny as a kid, but I didn't quite understand what a concubine was, and <laughs> it was so funny, because they were like, who are they? Ugh, concubines. Ugly concubines. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. I thought that was a really funny line, but I know who they meant to I know! It was just, like, the way they said it was funny, and then once I learned what a concubine was, <laughs> it became funnier. <sighs> It's a joke for the adults, but kind of the kids, too. Yeah, I mean, I laughed. And maybe it was because my parents laughed that I laughed. I don't know. I don't know why I laughed, but I did. I think it's just, like, the the child must be like, Haha, they said ugly. They called them ugly. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, because they, they, well, they had facial hair, and then Yao was short and stocky, and Po Chinpo was huge. <laughs> Speaking of Yao, Yao was vo voiced by Harvey Firestein, and he is, for me, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure he's in other roles, but for me, I know him most from his, uh, the part that he played in Mrs. Doubtfire as, is it Danny? Is his name Danny? I'm not sure. It's been a long time since I've seen Mrs. Doubtfire. He played Mrs. Doubtfire's brother, Mrs. Doubtfire, Robin Williams, <laughs> that, you know, turned him into Mrs. Doubtfire. If you know, you know. <laughs> if you've seen the transformation, then you've seen him. Yes. Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. <laughs> He's iconic. And that's one of the voices. Him and Eddie Murphy are the, some of the voices that aren't the Asian-American actors that they, you know, didn't cast. <laughs> and Donnie Osmond is, did the singing voice for Lee Shang. And <laughs> I originally didn't understand... Because I found out that B.D. Wong, so B.D. Wong, I said earlier, did the speaking voice for Li Shang. And I found out in my research that B.D. Wong was on Broadway. And I was like, what? They had a Broadway actor and they hired someone else to do the singing? And I was enraged. I was like, Disney, you're being dirty. Like, what in the world? And then I looked up a video of him singing. <laughs> it changes everything when you look up the video. It's not bad, but it's very it's high. Not, it's not Shang. Very high. The play that I looked up, he was actually dressed as a woman, and it was called M Butterfly, like just the letter M Butterfly. I, I didn't have time to look up what the play was about, but I'm, I'm guessing it was, I don't know, it kind of looked like a gender swap of Mulan, to be honest with you. <laughs> but he won a Tony for his performance in that, and I was... I was confused originally about why they didn't use him as a singing voice. And then I looked up how he sings. And while it's very good, he is a good singer, but it definitely wasn't the manly song that Donny Osmond did. <laughs> and uh, But some people theorize that it was because Donny had a bigger name and because his sound was more of a, a pop genre sound and they wanted a beat pop song. So, and Wong was uh, not that. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a mix of both. Like, he just didn't fit the sound of it, so they wanted him, and they wanted the big name. But, like, they needed a manly voice, like a stereotypical one, so that when Mulan was singing, you didn't have, like, two more feminine registers. You wanted, like, the deeper baritone sound. Yes. So it just makes sense musically to have the different like tones when you're trying to do a movie like this with some cross-dressing otherwise <laughs> if you're just listening to the soundtrack you're like wait what who are these mm -hmm. characters right because they also wanted to push the the album out they didn't want just the movie to do well they wanted both of them to do well right and another fun fact is that mulan is the first movie to be put out on dvd she was put out on VHS and DVD, but in 1998, that was when DVDs were starting to become a thing. So I remember owning both eventually. I owned the VHS first, 
because I remember rewinding it to listen to Reflection over and over and over again because that was my favorite part of the movie. And I would always rewind so I could watch her put her makeup back on with her sleeve because, <laughs> you know, she wipes it off with her sleeve. But yeah. I would always watch it in reverse so I could see her put it on with her sleeve because that's just the kind of kid I was. <laughs> I wanted to see it. I can honestly say I've never done that. <laughs> if anybody can hit me up <laughs> i want to talk about it not re- i mean i don't guess there's really anything to talk about but i would like to know if anybody can relate to that <laughs> another fun fact i have is that milan's co-directors uh tony tony bancroft and barry cook they can both be seen as caricatures at the end of the movie when mushu scares the two firework operators he's like i'm your worst nightmare those two guys they are the caricatures oh <laughs> Two of the best commenters right there. Yeah. And Mulan was also the first of three feature-length films to be created at the Satellite Studio, Walt Disney Feature Film Animation in Florida. Because they had they had built this whole animation studio in Orlando, but not very many movies were made there. I wonder why they didn't really keep up with it. I mean, is it just the location? Like... Florida isn't as good as California, or where they're just like mm, the original's better. Let's stick with the. the I think crew. it's probably a matter of like the movie making stuff is in California, and it's probably easier to hire there. People don't want to move across the country. It's probably just location and California being known for you know, Hollywood. <laughs> as as my guess, it is kind of nice having like another place that's more on the east coast of that way like people can like go to california if they're closer to that one or they can still have a job like in florida but still working for disney where it's not just like a theme park worker you can have like your animation job because that's what kept me out of animation was that like a lot of the jobs are in california and that's not a place i want to live yeah the cost of living in florida is so much lower so i i would rather move to california i mean florida than California. Florida is more expensive than here for me, but nowhere near as expensive as California is. Florida is about the same as Texas, so it's not really any different for me to move to Florida. And you don't live at Disney yet? (laughs) I used to live in the middle of the castle. (laughs) Just kidding. But uh, back to the fun facts. (laughs) Some say that uh, the singing in the end credits, the reflection song by Christina Aguilera, is what shot her into stardom. But I'm not sure how true that is because she'd already been working with Disney on the Mickey Mouse Club thing. So, like, that show was doing really well and people already knew her name. I think this just, like, helped give her a push. A push. It didn't, like, soar her into stardom. She was already on the verge of it. Yeah, she had already been putting out music and... Because I remember in second grade, which would have been around the time of Mulan, about 1998, when I was in second grade-ish, first, second grade, we were on the playground and they were singing another song that Christina Aguilera had put out, uh, something about a genie in a bottle. I wasn't listening to secular music. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I didn't get into music yet when that stuff was coming out. <laughs> so, like, she had been putting out other stuff. So, again, I put that fact in there, but I, I don't know how true it was. But she is successful, and she actually, for the live action, which we're not really going to talk about much, she did sing a new song, a new original song for that movie. I think it played in the end credits or something. But it's a really pretty song. It's called Loyal, Brave, and True. And uh, I really liked that song. And her singing it was really nice. I was go far as to say that, that was the best part of the movie. <laughs> yeah, me too. I, I watched the live action and I probably never watch it again. Yeah, talk about disappointing. Mm-hmm. Just everything surrounding the live action was disappointing. The politics, the location where they filmed it, the movie itself wasn't that great. The plot was lackluster. It's just oof. <laughs> I wouldn't mind as much if there was, like, bad source material, but Mulan has a really rich history, and they had a really good first film about it. Like, they could have done so much more. Yeah. Oh, and the thing, I don't think we mentioned this, but the thing about Mushu was that he was nowhere, there were no dragons in Mulan. This Mushu was a completely original Disney character. They made him up from scratch. So that was kind of a fun fact that 
that I learned while doing this research. But I mean, like, if they didn't have Mushu, they still had to have a sidekick. Like, almost everyone has a sidekick if they're a main character in Disney films. Mm -hmm. Because then they don't just, like, have to talk to themselves as they're walking through a forest. They have a friend to talk to. So, like, if she went to the camp and learned how to train and didn't have Mushu or Cricky there, she would just be talking to herself in her tent. Mm Mm-hmm. And that would not make for a good film. Or the horse. <laughs> yeah. Which, in one of the historical versions, she actually had to go buy the horse from a market. So, in one of the versions, she bought different pieces of armor, the horse, some other supplies. But they made an emphasis on she went to a north market, she went to a south market, she went to an east market, and she went to a west market. And they're not sure if they just did that because it sounded cool or if she was trying to cover her tracks on, like, where she's buying stuff. Like, you're not going to follow my paper trail, FBI. (laughs) Or it could be, like, maybe the items look different, like how, like, the art style would be different in different areas. So maybe the way they made it would be a little different and they didn't, she wouldn't want people to know exactly where she came from because then they might make it so that's easier to narrow things down to who she is maybe or just because sounds good (laughs) i think it was probably just symbolism (laughs) but i think that wraps up the section unless you can think of anything else uh well we can talk about the plot for a second on how just different things that we like about the movie so this movie is it was very quintessential for me as a child there's not much of my life currently and like i'm talking about my vocabulary my way of thinking, my color palette choices (laughs) that's not related to Mulan. I loved this movie. Like, this one, Thumbelina, and unfortunately Pocahontas were my three favorite movies as a child. (laughs) Like, these are, like, and Lion King, but these as six through 12, I'll say. And I rewound these VHSs over and over and over again. Like, I wore out these VHSs. One time I lost my Thumbelina VHS and I about had a heart attack because I know what happened to it. And I'll talk about that in that episode. (laughs) So salty. I wish I could let it go, but I can't. It hurt my heart so much. (laughs) But yeah, this movie, Mulan, was, it formed me. (laughs) It formed me musically. It formed part of my personality. I quote this movie all the freaking time. (laughs) so good <laughs> it's such a good movie as an entertainment piece and i think they honored the history pretty well yeah i think that they kept like all the the big parts in the story from the the ones from the past mm-hmm. oh and then the little brother in the original tales she had a little brother and he was just too young to go fight for his father in his father's place and so when they have the dog and she says little brother little brother it's funny because she has a little brother in the historical versions, but it's also made its way into my life. I have a little dog named Lightning McQueen. He's laying next to me right now. He's so cute. And I will, if I'm looking for him, I would be like, little brother, little brother. It's just, it, 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 this movie has infiltrated my whole existence. <laughs> it's most of the quotes that pop into my head are from this, and it's just, ah, I love it. It's a good movie. She's great. I also have an animal that's inspired by that, but um, mine's a little different. So my first cat was named Chaos, and he was like a big cat, a Maine Coon. And then my second cat is not mine. It's my mom's. But she was so much smaller, just like the breed. I'm not sure exactly what she is. She's half tuxedo, something else, but a lot smaller than a big, fluffy Maine Coon. So even though her name was Frenzy, to match with Chaos, we called her Little Kitty. But because my mom and I both love Milan, we end up calling her Little Sissy most of the time. Yeah. And then just random quotes that pop into my head. I am Yao, King of the Rock. Like, why does that pop into my head all the time? I don't know, but it does. And I'm not mad at it. I think I'm more likely to use the, like, dishonor on you, dishonor on your cow, more than any other quote, though. I made mugs for one of my college friends. We had I made matching mugs for us that had that quote on it. They were really cute. And then another one that is, <laughs> it makes its way into, I say it weekly, if not more, is, uh, say that to my face, you limp noodle. 
I love that one. It's so funny. Mushu starting the fight, getting Mulan in trouble. Oh, <laughs> it's so good. I love this movie. So most of my quotes are just Eddie Murphy quotes. <laughs> Except Yao. Yao, King of the Rock. That's from Harvey. I also kind of like the play nice unless one of the other kids want to fight. But what if I don't want to kick the other kid's butt? <laughs> <laughs> yep, that I said that one the other day to my mom. She was confused. She didn't know it was from. And I was like, seriously, as many times as I rewound this movie, you don't know. <laughs> she blocked it out. She was traumatized. Speaking of that scene, I kind of want to make that breakfast one day. I mean, I know it's going to look different than the drawing, but like the porridge looks good. Yeah, Rosanna Pansino, she... Uh, lived in China for a while. She taught English, and she has a video on, sh- and she made some. And it's really cute. So I'll try to remember to put that video on our playlist too. But another thing with that scene, that there's a lot about the scene. This is one of my favorite scenes for some reason. Probably because like I like waking up in the morning. Not really. I like to sleep just like Mulan. But um, <laughs> I like the and you get porridge and it's happy to see you. Yep, and you get porridge and it's happy to see you. <laughs> I like using that one whenever I make like a smiley face in food. Yeah. And then, of course, we can't forget to talk about the iconic grandma running through with her lucky cricket. And the cricket like confesses later on. He's like, I'm not even lucky. And Mushu is like all offended when he's the imposter in the story. <laughs> They're all three imposters. Oh, my goodness. I just realized that. But do you want to stay forever? Yes. <laughs> Love grandma. I also so like good. the flower of diversity one. Oh, yes, yes, yes. There's a lot of, like, philosophical qu- good quotes in here, too, yeah. We will be the most beautiful of all. Mm-hmm. The flower that blooms in adversity. Plus, I mean, like, just not even, like, a quote, but, like, the reflection song. Mm-hmm. That's a good shower song. <laughs> yes. For Kid Me, that one, and Just Around the River Bend when I was in the bathtub. Those are my songs. But, yeah, I think that. Do you have any final thoughts on the movie? Um, nope, that's it. This is this is definitely my favorite version. <laughs> well, we'll talk about that in just a second. <laughs> All right, let's jump into the pop culture section. Woohoo! All right, so now that we're in the pop culture section, as you know by now, we like to start off with talking about how many adaptations there are. And in my research for this, I found that there are Give or take about 14 movies that were made based on the story of Mulan, but it's very hard to find movies that were based on Mulan because sometimes they're called different things or they're just kind of allusions to Mulan. There was also an opera written in 1912 based off Mulan, and I thought that was really cool. So that link will be in our show notes on our new website that we have. We have a new website, guys. (laughs) disneyahistory.wordpress.com we're not buying the domain yet we're not ready for all that we're not that fancy but it's there and y'all can go check that out if you want to i feel like it's really interesting that they made an opera of milan because that's something i would have never guessed was a real thing (laughs) yeah it's pretty crazy because it's like when i think of an opera i think of like italian operas i don't usually think of a chinese story in opera yeah I mean, it's just weird that they didn't go into, like, a ballet or, like, a musical theater or something. Like, just straight-up opera. Like, it's different than what they normally did. Mm-hmm. For sure. A, a ballet would be interesting with this kind of, like, war-themed story. Yeah, especially where, like, it's a big fight, but it's graceful. Which, I mean, you kind of get in other ballets, but, I mean, the big thing is fighting in this movie, so... Yeah, That'd be really kind of cool to see them adapt it for ballet. Right. Because Mulan's big struggle is just honoring her family and staying safe and keeping her identity secret. Imagine seeing Mushu in a ballet. <laughs> okay, this <laughs> opera was in 1912. <laughs> Mushu was an original Disney creation, so that wouldn't have been a thing. <laughs> I'd still want him in the ballet. I'd want a kid to play Mushu. <laughs> Can you imagine a kid trying to imitate Eddie Murphy? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's ballet, so they don't really have to, like, talk much. It's mostly just, like, their movements, their dancing. Mm-hmm. Sarcastic dancing. <laughs> but, like, how cute would the costume be? Yeah, it would be cute. I feel like it would be, like, ballet, 
and then Mushi would come out and be doing tap dance or something. So you want a Disney-themed ballet. Yes. <laughs> I would be actually pretty cool because, like, in some, like, shadow puppetry, I think it would be a really cool shadow puppet story. Yeah, that would be. It probably exists. I just, <laughs> I'm just now thinking to look it up. <laughs> Okay, and since we've seen, like, every single version that's ever been made of Mulan, what is your favorite version of Mulan? <laughs> I'm really partial to Disney's version, not because it's the only one I've seen, but just because <laughs> I think it's really well done. It shows how she wants honor in her family and wants to, like, make them proud, but she also wants to save her father. And she's not out looking for love. That just happens again the way of fighting. Like It just works out in the end. But it wasn't her goal. So I really enjoyed it. Would you like to stay forever? <laughs> and the grandma was amazing. This is one of my most quoted movies for sure. <laughs> Top 10 most quoted movies. I never really liked Mulan 2. But I mean, they did have a pretty catchy song with the I want to be like other girls that got stuck in my head a lot as a kid. Is that where the phrase like actually came from? <laughs> I don't know, but there's a whole song about it. Yeah. About how they don't want to wear their pinky shoes. <laughs> oh, and, like that's how they want to. I want to be like other girls. Yeah. But like every time I put on a shoe that's uncomfortable, like when I'm trying on for like a new shoe for like an event. When everyone's pinchy, I always think of the song. Oh, that's funny. Like it's stuck in your head for a whole day. Yeah. I, I've i seen the movie a few times, the second one, but it's not something that I just went back to to watch over and over. The only like sequel that I really like, I guess, is Frozen 2. <laughs> I liked Lion King 2. That one I'd still watch and enjoy. So like I'd call that a good sequel. It's okay. It's not one that I watch over and over, but like I'm not mad at it. I feel like for having such a big predecessor it's a really good sequel yeah because like they really could have gone wrong and they managed to keep it okay i mean it's definitely way above Belle's sequels <laughs> bless their heart yeah <laughs> i love her but not the sequels i really like the lion guard on disney jr yeah that's a really cute really show. really cute all right so my favorite adaptation is <laughs> disney's version because <laughs> that's the only one i've seen there is another one, I forgot the name of it, but there is another one that I want to watch that's based off of Mulan. It's a live action and it's not Disney's live action, but no, there's another live action that's not Disney related at all that is, uh, it looked really good. It looked accurate and honoring, but I forgot what it was called. All right. So is Mulan a good role model for young girls and boys? I think yes. <laughs> I mean... They do have their issues with the whole cross-dressing and, like, how it's not, like, as good as today. Because, I mean, like, men dressing up like ladies and, like, not acknowledging, like, hey, do they like dressing up like that? But, like, they didn't have to actually dress up like women for part of it. Except they kind of did to, like, get the men that were guarding to, like, lose their attention. <laughs> so, I mean, like... Concubines. Ugly concubines. But Milan herself had really good intentions. And she saved all of China. Like, how can you disagree with that? Yeah, no, we're definitely just talking about Mulan, the character. Yeah. And with her original history, yes, she's good. A good role model. And in the Disney adaptation, yes, I think she's a good role model. Yeah, I, I definitely think that she's a good role model even in the history versions, not just Disney's. Yeah. She, like, that was her whole purpose. In the new live action, they have a song called Loyal, Brave, and True. And, like, that's the underlying tone of the original ballad is being loyal, brave, and true to your family and your country. And those are honorable traits, of course. And, like, even, like, the the history ones that were, like, they didn't always have Mulan as, like, the star in them. Even those ones had Mulan be a good person. Mm-hmm. So there's really not, like, a terrible Mulan. Yeah, especially in the one where she, you know, offs herself. <laughs> yeah. Honor was her most valued trait to herself. Like, that's what she valued the most. Yeah. All right. And what we like and dislike about her. I like how strong she is because, like, she was definitely scared to take her father's place. She didn't know what she would get into. And, like, she wasn't a trained warrior or anything, but she still did it without being scared at all like you couldn't see any trace of it mm -hmm. yeah I like that she's honorable and that she desires to honor her family 
but she knows like in the animated version she knows she's not being true to who she is as a person because she's not that stereotypical housewife type <laughs> like that's not what she had desired for herself it was just hard for her to see herself in that role which is completely relatable wanting to be a childless millennial <laughs> it's like you know something that people choose to do and there's nothing wrong with that and there's nothing wrong with her not wanting to get married or not wanting to fit the mold of what a married stay-at-home wife looks like and is there anything you dislike about her her personally no i don't think so i can't think of anything <laughs> i can't think of anything either and what would the world look like without her character i think that's hard to answer just because like it's not my culture and i'm bad at history to begin with so like i only know the history that like i looked up but the fact that a lot of people use the story of milan to encourage themselves through difficult times it would definitely change how our world looked today if they didn't have that role model to keep them going mm-hmm yeah, because she's been a pillar of Chinese culture, you know, for almost 2,000 years. Yeah, whenever something bad happened, they were like, oh, we need a hero. We need someone like Mulan. So, like, without that, like, I wonder, like, who would have been that version of, like, a hero that they would be desiring for? Right, yeah. Because she wasn't just a role model for young girls. She was a role model for the whole nation to be able to fight yeah, for what they believe in and to stand up for themselves against the enemies that were attacking them because they went through you know countless wars <laughs> as a country so she was there to her tale was there to carry them through that through all those wars so like i don't know exactly what the world would look like without her but i know it look a lot different right her impact has been great yeah huge like her the ballad of mulan that story and then just what Disney did and what Disney created with the songs and Mushu and all the different things that they did with the film have impacted us all. Look at the CGI that they used. Like all that has had an impact on the animation that we see today and the stories that were told today. Do you have any final thoughts? No, I think that covers everything. Yeah, I think so too. And with that, we'll sign off. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'm blown away. We stay two to three weeks ahead of our posting date, and we just got a hundred listens on our through our analytics. Like they just showed up, and that is just mind blowing to me. So thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We we really appreciate it, and we hope that y'all have a wonderful day. See you next time. Thank you for listening to Disney A History. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. For further discussions, join us on our Reddit. For bonus content, you can find us on TikTok and YouTube. See you real soon!